is good morning, everybody. Once more, good to see you all here we are on this wonderful Sunday morning, the Lord's Day. We thank the Lord for it. Uh, what I'm about to teach you is really part four in a series of, of helpful subjects, interrelated subjects. Uh, the conference we announced, of course, Epiphany had three sessions, and this is the third. But the truth is that last Sunday was really like an important introductory message to, for what has followed on. And if you missed last Sunday, it's one worth catching on YouTube, where I discussed the whole meaning of first resurrection and second death, and what it means to be priests of God, rule with Christ, and, uh, and a host of other things, including the, the judgment of the righteous. It was all in that message. And it helps to clear the mind with respect to understanding some of the book of Revelation. Now, our first meeting in this three-meeting series, of course, was Friday night, in which I address the issue of how to approach the book of Revelation and gave you some background that's very helpful to removing Revelation as a hindrance to your understanding because if you think of Revelation as describing something in the future and the end of the world it will it will remove most of the Bible from your understanding but when you understand where the book of Revelation fits and its purpose and the fact that the actual events described in all that symbolism took place 2,000 years ago and with a little knowledge of history and a little knowledge of other scriptures, you can so clearly see it. Last tracks of scripture, uh, and it's all astounding. So that's, that was Friday night. Last night, of course, we discovered what the Bible is talking about when it talks about a new heavens and a new earth. And uh, that was a more detailed message and, and had to be detailed because otherwise you'd need about three because in the gospel he removes all the hostility Jew and Gentile and makes one new man. Probably another way of representing Jesus actually. The glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight. In other words, the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem is something that is in this new heavens and new earth as you will see. And that in a minute will be our subject. We read on is that this is not the eternal state, it is life. The new earth is speaking of spiritual realities, not physical ones. And of course, I gave you a wealth of information last night to understand that. Now, in which case, in which case, let's now go to the second place in the Bible where it talks of these things. And this is Isaiah 66, verse 10. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. Now, when we read Jerusalem in this context, think the church think the body of Christ on earth with the gospel the true Israel of God rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her all you who love her rejoice with her in joy all you who mourn over her that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast 
Yes, this is the church, the body of Jesus, that nurtures people, that comforts people, that brings people into the life of the church, into the fellowship of church. When you, when you join with the church, you join with Jesus. When you join with Jesus, you join with the church. He puts the lonely in families. This is a hugely rich fellowship and supremely important. People who neglect the church neglect their own souls. People who drift from the church usually drift from Christ. The church is life-giving. The Bible says the church is the pillar of truth. It is here. We have the table of the Lord and holy baptism and the preaching of the Word of God and prayer for one another, the fellowship of the saints. Life is rich in the church, and this is the ground and pillar of the truth. No wonder it says here that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. It's because the glorious abundance of Jesus is, is made known to the church. It's placed in the church. It's what you come to drink from. Verse 12, for thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. Now this brings to mind two things. First of all, peace the eternal covenant made in the blood of Jesus that makes us the church at all is called the covenant of peace. And not only that, but Jesus said that for those who followed him and believed on him, out of, the, out of their innermost being would flow rivers of living water. So when you, when you come into the covenant of peace, the Holy Spirit is given to you and living water flows out of you. That's what's referred to right here. Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and... The glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. Yes, he says repeatedly in Scripture, bring the glory of the nations into the, the new Jerusalem, the house of God. And you shall nurse, you'll be carried upon a hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Ah, this brings to mind what Paul said about the heavenly Jerusalem. What did Paul say? Here's what he said. She corresponds, uh, this, well, he, he says Mount Sinai in Arabia, Mount Sinai, in other words, the old covenant, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, that's the earthly one, for she's in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. And so we find this mothering, the, the, the church is your mother, that is the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem is your mother, you should be comforted in her you shall see, verse 14, and your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be made known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. That passage continues. Let's continue on. Because it's when you read the context, this is what's so important, when you read the context of this talk about new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, you find it is very, very much about life on earth, breathing air, resisting sin, walking with the saints, receiving the nurturing of the Lord. In other words, living well on earth under the gospel. So now, now let's read what he has to say in the following few verses because he talks about the wrath of God being visited upon the old Jerusalem and there only being survivors. The survivors, of course, were those who came into the church in the days of the apostles. So here, let's follow from verse 15. For behold... The Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury. His anger in fury is the wrath of God and it was the wrath of God that is described in the book of Revelation, was described by Jesus in Matthew 24 and which was visited upon Jerusalem as Jesus said, upon this generation will come the blood of all the saints 
And that, that was the, his anger in fury visited upon the old Jerusalem, the old system. Verse 16, For by the fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Next verse 17, this will make you uh, confused, but don't worry, it's easy to clear up. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens following one in the midst eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice shall come to an end together. He had, he had in the previous chapter said that a time would come when people who offered uh, you know, lambs and rams and grain in offering in the temple were to him as those offering uh, pig's blood. Meaning, once Christ had been sacrificed for sins, those who clung to this old system of animal sacrifices, it, it was anathema to him. Uh, we don't have time to go into it. But verse 18, he's speaking about Jerusalem of that day. For I know their works and their thoughts. And um, that's carried on from the previous statement. But then he starts to make these amazing positive ones. He says, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. Think now the day of Pentecost. Think of all the tongues on the day of Pentecost. Think of all people gathered from all the nations around in the Roman Empire and beyond, by the way, from Arabia as well. And they all heard the gospel, all received the Holy Spirit. He says, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and see my glory. Yes, see, once Christ ascended, Holy Spirit poured out, church filled with the glory of God, he brought all nations. These people went back to all nations. It's astounding. They shall see my glory. Remember Jesus said to his father, I've given them the glory you gave me. And he says, and I'll set a sign among them. Do you know what that sign is? Jesus told us what the sign was. It was the final destruction of the temple and of the priesthood. Because he said immediately after the tribulation, in other words, the tribulation was three and a half years, right at the end of that tribulation, he says, the sign, I explained this last night, the sign, um, then will appear the sign that the son of man is in heaven. So that's, that's the sign. It was that destruction. He says, I'll put a sign among them. The other sign, by the way, because the Bible speaks of two signs. The actual pouring out of the Holy Spirit and speaking in multiple tongues, he also said in the Old Testament was a sign that he was going to give. And uh, so, you know, all this happened in that same period. Anyway, from... Um, uh, I'll set a sign among them. This is verse 19. And from them I will send survivors to the nations... Now, to, to Tarshish and Paul and Lud and, and, um, and to coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. This sending survivors to the nations, this was the elect. Um, the, the days of tribulation was cut short so the elect would be saved. This was the church. Not one Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. But these Christians, full of the Holy Spirit, went all over the world gossiping the gospel. And that's what's being described here. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And verse 20, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations. The Jews had never regarded people of other nations as brothers, but under the gospel, under the cross, remember he removes the dividing wall of hostility. He makes Jew and Gentile one new man in Christ. So now they are brothers. These Jewish evangelists goes out. The apostles were Jewish evangelists. There were lots of other Jewish evangelists because ultimately added to them Gentile ones. But he said, they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. You see that phrase there, says the Lord, and so on and so forth. And, and verse 21, and some of them and I will also take for priests and Levites. Up to this point, only anyone from the tribe of Levi 
could be a, Le uh, be a Levite, that, that is a, ser a servant in the temple, and only anyone descended from Aaron could be a priest, but now he says here he's going to take priests and Levites from the Gentiles. See, this is the, this is the whole new deal under the Lord Jesus. And look at the very next verse. Now he's been describing all this, a gospel process, destruction of Jerusalem, day of Pentecost, sending out the gospel, Gentiles coming in, and look at what he now calls it in the very next verse, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me. So the final shaking has been taken place, now the new heavens and the new earth were a great reality, and says the Lord, so you shall your offspring and your name remain. And uh, from new moon to new moon, Sabbath to Sabbath. That's why this is not yet the eternal state. We're still in time, still here with a, you know, calendars and, and days of the week and so on. So, having said all that, I can now take you to the passage that you really think is about the new heaven and the new earth from Revelation chapter 21. All right, take a look now. This, this famous passage, lovely passage. Now I want you to read it with new eyes. Instead of reading it as a description of the final state, after the final judgment, the consummate kingdom, you know, eternity, kind of in heaven, bliss, start reading it as if, what's this telling us about the future of life on the earth with the gospel, with the church? What's it telling us about the ideal church in the earth? What, here you have a description of the, the ideal life that the gospel is meant to bring about and progressively is bringing about. In other words, you, not, not necessarily how it began or even as good as it might be now, but, but ultimately what it achieves and what it is like and um, in principle. So we read it with those eyes. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. That little, that's an interesting phrase. If the sea is no more, it doesn't mean there's not water. It doesn't mean there's not oceans. It doesn't mean there's not uh, rivers and lakes. In fact, there is, because to start with, there's a fantastic river that says, runs down the street of this new Jerusalem. But of course, that's the Holy Spirit. But no, it's not that there aren't bodies of water. This is a symbolic reference to the, the Gentile world is not now excluded from the, the commonwealth of Israel and the covenants of God. That, in other words, that exclusion no longer exists. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Right off, we know this is the church. The church is a heavenly people. There's a, there's a sense in which it's given from heaven to the earth. It's here. He says, he says in fact, coming down out of heaven. And I heard a loud voice, verse 3, from the throne saying... Now this, friends, is a hugely important statement. I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Notice this is not, not us dwelling with God in some eternal state. It's him dwelling with us on earth. And if you go through the scriptures, you will find that again and again and again, the Lord expresses this, as his heartfelt desire, the thing that he was working for all along from the very beginning, it's written in the book of Leviticus, it's written into other books, God's ultimate plan was that he would live with us, he would walk with us, he would be our God, 
we would be his people. And here John is proclaiming that as a result of the gospel, this has become a great reality. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, hasn't he, hasn't he done that for you? Doesn't he continue to do that for you? See, if you read it as the final state, you think there, there are no more tears ever. But we're living in a life where there are tears. There are issues. There are problems. But we happen to live in a life where we have a huge comfort, a huge grace. And God is actually called the God of all comfort. So in, with, with the word of God we have and answers to prayer, and the Holy Spirit present, bringing to us the presence of the Father and the Son, and the love of brethren, our helping of one another. Yes, he wipes away the tears from our eyes. And it says, and death will be no more. Now, you've got to go back to the first lesson I taught last Sunday about what is the meaning of the first resurrection. If you're in Christ and you've been born again, you've experienced the first resurrection, and Jesus says of you, the second death will have no power over you. This goes back to John 11, where he said, he who lives and believes in me will never die. And he's talking about spiritual things, not physical things. That's you. Death has been overcome. If you're a believer in Christ today, death has been overcome already. And yes, the body will die and the body will be resurrected. But all the while, you're living in another great reality altogether. I mean, John Wesley, when he lay dying, it was only his body dying. John Wesley said, oh, best of all, God is with us. You know, he was, he's been carried by angels, you know, all the while. Now, death has been dealt with in Jesus. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You've got to see it as describing the outcomes of a process, not something fully formed the minute it was given, but with the birth of the church and the release of the gospel, a process has, had been begun in earth, bring about astounding changes Five, verse 5, and he was, who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Notice he's referring to an ongoing process, not an instantaneous creation. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give. Notice, notice he's talking future, what he will do. In other words, there'll be ongoing thirsty people I will give. Uh, where were we here? From the spring of the water of life without payment. That's the gospel. We're talking about an age in which the gospel is preached and the thirsty can find their thirst quenched in Jesus. Verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. It's in this life you're called to conquer. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be. Notice it's future tense will be. In other words, they're still here. But, but it says what will be the, the outcome. All right. Finally, uh, finally and briefly, a few features of this new Jerusalem, that is the church on earth under the gospel. Revelation 21, 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. As soon as you start talking apostolic foundations, you know you're talking about the building of the church. You go to Ephesians chapter 2, you can read all about it there. Uh, now, verse 22 of Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Yes, the physical temple was destroyed so that another temple 
could be established and we are in that temple you 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 live in it you approach jesus freely when when he says come boldly to the throne of grace that's temple language you're coming right into the holy of holies that's where you are in prayer every day and verses 24 to 27 of the same chapter now remember we're talking new jerusalem think again new jerusalem on earth the church on earth verse 24 by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and verse 25 its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there you can see right off it's not talking the physical light that comes from the sun moon and stars what's it talking about christ is the light if you read these chapters you it actually is written here that god and christ are the light of the city and so uh, there'll be no night there means look you can wake in the I, I wake in the middle of the night and it's pitch black so black that if i head for the door I, i've got to find the knob but my soul is filled with light and if someone rang me in that moment and said look look i'm struggling and i have a problem and would you pray i'll pray for them filled with light and power will go out because the gates of the new jerusalem are never shut and it's never nighttime there you, you must ap appreciate the power of metaphor if you interpret all this stuff literally and materially and physically it is so wooden and so dull but when you understand the metaphor it is so alive praise god and and um verse 26 they'll bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations now the, this is the church remember the body of christ and um and right now i mean the, the astounding stories of nations in africa and and other parts of the world that the gospel is so transformed and um and transforming and the best the best is yet to be but look at verse 27 but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor does anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life you know what that means the only people who are truly in the new jerusalem on earth are the born again because when you're born again you're declared righteous and the sins your sins are washed away you, but well to the point here is your name is written in a book it's only those whose names are written in the book in other words you've been born again who are who actually live in the new jerusalem and drink of the water of life and so on we're almost done but now you know more clearly what hebrews 12 and verse 18 means when it says you have come to mount zion who was this written to it was written to believers who were alive on earth right then they were jewish believers they were in the church they were in the body they were on earth and almost 2000 years ago the scripture written to them was you have come to mount zion to the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem they were in the heavenly jerusalem while living on earth because the heavenly jerusalem is something that god has given us from heaven and it's here and it's here for the transformation of nations it's here for your comfort and your succor it is here as the ground and the pillar of truth it is here to strengthen the believers and to keep you safe and to keep you in jesus it's here to be a blessing to the nations and the nations bring their glory into it kings bring their glory into it 
You've come to that heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels, innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's what it is. And to God and so on and so forth. And the writer to the Hebrews concludes just a few verses later by saying, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. Uh, past tense, we've already received it. Be grateful we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That was the whole point. Yet once more I will shake the heavens and the earth so that only the things that can't be shaken will remain. And the thing that remains, of course, is the gospel, the grace of God, the church of Jesus on earth, the kingdom of God on earth. It cannot be shaken. Read with me now this final passage of Scripture as a communal reading. And I want you to see that even though this is different language, different vocabulary, in a sense, you might think, oh, it's a different subject, but it's not. The New Jerusalem is the church on earth. And we are now reading about the church on earth together. Now, this will be a responsive reading. I will read the odd ver number verses. You read the even number. It's only reading 11 to 16. I mean, what is it, half a dozen verses. But when we read this passage, which is often too familiar, I want you now to see in at all that I've said. So, ready to read. Here we go. I'll read one, you read the next. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become... Friends, this is a huge statement. This, this would be the biggest statement in the whole Bible. Instead, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head. This is on earth, that is Christ. Okay, last verse, everybody. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Praise God. I invite the musicians to return. Join me on the platform. And uh, we're going to pray for a few moments, and we're going to sing. And uh, even though this, this morning is more of a lecture, because, you know, this is a conference meeting, uh, you know, giving out or attempting to give out anyway uh, vital information for your understanding. Yet nevertheless, you have to come to that point with the truth. Here come, musicians will come. You, you must come to that point when the truth is before you, that it has a response from the heart. You, you can't be passive and sit back and think, oh, well, that's interesting and, and go your way. You have to give your heart to the truth. You, you have to embrace it. it. It has to be taken into you and you into that. You have to apprehend it and, and let, let this, you know, this astounding eternal truth uh, embrace you, apprehend you. And, and you live by it. You know, you walk in the light of Christ. 
So look, in closing, could I say this? Your life counts. And either you're counted amongst those who are full of that living water and you change the world because you truly are the new Jerusalem or you're of that other kind of which Paul said many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. There are people in churches who confess the faith but according to Paul they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. You've got to decide whether your, your heart is in this, you want, you want to bear fruit under God. You, you want to bear 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Your prayer should be, Lord, I want to bear fruit. In other words, you want your life to be useful in changing this world. You walk with Jesus if you're prayerful, you're full of love to all the saints, you search his word, let me tell you, you cannot but help to be fruitful because he will make you fruitful. Don't live as enemies of the cross, careless, materialistically, you know, pleasure-seeking, worldly, don't live like that because it's not profitable for one for the world or the kingdom but it's certainly not profitable for you on the day of judgment. No, live for Christ. Live for the truth of the word of God. Bow your head with me just now and just take this moment that in the, in the heart of hearts, in your own heart, just recognize your heart is yielded to Jesus. Yield the heart. You'll be at peace with God. We've received at the table of the Lord this morning in more than one way. Receive it to yourself. Just say, Lord, I receive your spirit. I receive your word. Ask the Lord to continue to transform your life and make you fruitful. I ask you, Lord, that by the grace of God, not one of our people would be fruitless but they would be believing. And that in one way or another, according to the light you give them, their lives would count wonderfully for the kingdom of God. Lord, I thank you for our dear people. May the spirit of the Lord rest upon them. The word of God be alive in them. Your grace flowing to them constantly. I ask you, Lord, that in body, soul, and spirit, you would perfect them, preserve them blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus. At this time, protect them all from sickness or disease. I ask the Lord, you'd grant everybody in peace, long life, long life and good health and energy and vigor, but especially, Lord, that energy which is the motivation that comes from much love and understanding of the truth and from the gospel. Lord, would you give us all pure hearts in, in pursuing Jesus and living a life that is honourable, honouring to the Lord. Make our lives count, O Lord, because only you can do that. So, Holy Spirit, come. Rest upon every one of these believers. Lord, your peace. Place your peace even upon marriages and homes and hearts, upon their work they do, the days of their lives. I commend them to your grace. ask that you would fill them with all joy in believing God. And now, Lord, make them a fruitful people every day, this week and all the days to come. I commend them to your care and thank you for the love and mercy of a living God. Amen.